humanitarian organization providing disaster response, we put ourselves out there physically and mentally. Supporting one another in that endeavor is core to our strength as an organization. Understanding that all of us are on our own path in this journey together keeps us grounded and supportive. My guest today is Jennifer Lawrence, an OG wellness provider and assist coordinator from Boston, Massachusetts. Jen has been there and done that, providing support and guidance for Grayshirt's mental and emotional well-being, and possibly instigating some shenanigans along the way. Jennifer Lawrence, how are you? I'm good, thanks. That's kind of my shtick. I ask people how they are, even though they're way far away from me, which really is not what I want. But I do want to genuinely know how you are, but I also want to know something about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So I go by J-Law in Team Rubicon. Um, In real life, I'm a social worker. Right now, I'm working for MIT as one of the deans in the Department of Student Life, and I coordinate a lot of case management for some of our high-risk students, our high-need students, to make sure that they can stay on campus safely and successfully. I also have a small private practice where I do mental health therapy really for people of a a variety of ages with just all different mental health issues or, you know, just people who are struggling with what's going on in the world uh, with the pandemic, um, job loss, anxiety, depression, that kind of stuff. Um, Before that, I worked at a level one trauma center, one of the hospitals here, and I did a lot of mental health work with victims of violence. So people who have experienced gunshot wounds, stab wounds, some high level assaults. And we did a lot of work with families of homicide victims. Um, That was a grant funded program and it was extremely cool. Um, I went to school for social work uh, for grad school. I went to Springfield College and it was there in my undergrad Wagner College where I really, you know, got that instilled in me, just kind of being of service to others. That's really why I chose to go into social work. I feel like I have a pretty limited skill set in real life. I, you know, don't do really well with, um, you know, counting money, being in the business world, that kind of thing. So felt like my strengths were really just being able to connect with people and talk to people. So that really started my journey. And uh, when I came across Team Rubicon, it just seemed like a really natural fit, you know, to kind of be of service of others. And, you know, again, in, in college and grad school, we really focused on the humanics philosophy. So really just giving back to those um, in our communities, in our world. And, you know, with Team Rubicon, I've been fortunate to be able to spread that community both within my own little area of Boston, throughout the greater New England region, and then really throughout the country just with what I've been involved with. Springfield, Massachusetts. Springfield, the- Massachusetts, the birthplace of basketball. The birthplace of, see, it's all these little things. That's right. Dr. Uh, James Naismith at Springfield College. <laughs> and I absolutely love the city I live in, Boston. I went to school myself out there, and I absolutely miss it. But at the same time, I'm not too, not too shabby where I'm staying these days, which I don't know that I've ever actually said where I am staying or living or whatever. I'm, I'm at a Boise, yeah. Idaho, so we're like polar opposites almost in the country. Yeah, kind of very fun. opposite coasts. Uh, there's not as many people here where I live. However, it's still kind of a neat place. It has that college town feel. So it's as if okay. you took about 12 blocks of downtown Boston, maybe. And that's <laughs> most of the state of Idaho, but it's okay too. It sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer, you and I actually met in 2016. We were up in Hebron, New Hampshire. That's like, right. I pulled that out. I pulled that right. Yeah, out. at a very rustic camp. Oh, that camp was so. I just I'm, I want to paint a picture here. So, okay. this is a camp that was originally designed for for it was a boys' camp, like in 1903. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the woman who developed this camp, she wanted to give boys and men the opportunity to experience the you know the woods and kind of more of a rustic uh, basic lifestyle and freaky weird thing she knew uh rudyard kipling, uh, kipling who wrote the jungle book that's right yeah and so all the cabins she had talked to uh, Mr. Kipling and asked if she could use his animal names throughout the camp for like the different buildings and stuff. 
it was surreal. It would, you know, you are in the middle of nowhere up against this artisanally fed lake. So it's just quiet <laughs> and beautiful and lush. And oh my gosh, and you throw a whole bunch of salty Team Rubicon members out there to uh, learn how to be chainsaw instructors. And there was some. There was some calamity and fun things that happened that weekend. And, and I know that, you know, you being the fine mental health worker that you are, uh, happened to uh, be doing some immersion therapy with uh, somebody who lives up near <laughs> Alan Mangan. And if I remember right, uh, you had a few Team Rubicon members don clown masks and have them harass Alan for... A good chunk of time, uh, much to Alan's dismay, who's terrified of clowns. What, what did you call that therapy again? We called it exposure therapy, but for anybody who happens to be listening from my licensing board, it was that's not actually what it was. <laughs> but we did. So uh, Alan has a very well-known fear of clowns. And uh, Dana, Brian, and I took it upon ourselves to really help him get over that fear. So we decided that a uh, rustic cabin in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire <laughs> was the perfect place to do that. So it must have been around Halloween time because we went to it was. Like a random local store, it might have been a Walmart, and uh, they happened to have some clown masks. And we just felt like it was a sign from the universe that we were meant to don these in the evening. Yes. Uh, when it was look dark. at him yes. sitting on a stage cleaning a chainsaw. Um, <laughs> we were up in a balcony and we just kind of slowly appeared and waited for him to notice us. Uh, and then, you know, of course, he ran out of uh, the room screaming and, you know, we had no choice but to follow him outside in the masks. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm just the reason I bring that up is that kind of set the tone for the fact that um, we became best friends that day because it was absolutely hilarious. And I know that. So uh, full disclosure, Alan's OK. He's fine. It's uh, it's kind of a running he's joke. He's cured of his fear. I, I don't know about that because I think uh, it came up like last year. Uh, you'll get to meet Alan later. No, not in this podcast, but we're, we definitely need to talk to him. Uh, but it, what I loved about your spontaneity in that, and it, and it was funny, um, but there also was kind of a point to it. And the New England team and Team Rubicon is tight. You guys are, are pretty close. Uh, you give each other a lot of uh, grief. You also give each other a lot mm -hmm. of support. And I appreciate that just because immediately there was this camaraderie up there that uh, is, is wonderful to behold if you, if you ever get a chance to be a part of things up in, in uh, New England and the Northeast. So I thought it was funny. I just wanted to break that out early on because... <laughs> I don't know that I could contain myself because I do vividly remember that. You know, the other the other thing that that you have great traction with in the organization, and it's it's something that is is a very powerful thing that we do as far as training and application, and I, and I'll we'll get into it later why I think it's really important. But uh, you are part of coordinating the assist program within the organization. And I'd love for you to kind of give us a little spiel about what that's all about. Yeah. So the assist program, in my opinion, is one of the greatest things that Team Rubicon does. This is something that we definitely do really, really right. Um, so ASSIST stands for Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. And it's actually a program based out of uh, Living Works, which is a Canadian organization. So it's a two-day, full-day, uh, like really kind of immersive, intensive training program that brings people through how to recognize somebody who might be in distress, who might be having thoughts of suicide, to how to talk to somebody, how to intervene in that, and then moving them all the way to safety and how do you get them help and what does that look like for each person. Um, you know, back when we were thinking about what programs we wanted to bring to TR in terms of kind of more of a wellness, mental health, um, suicide prevention program, there are just so many out there. And this program has really just been incredible. Um, I don't know that I know anybody who's taken it, who's walked away saying they wish they never took it. Um, it's just really one of those things that, you know, even if you're not super comfortable 
talking to somebody who's struggling, this really gives people the tools to be able to do that. And I always tell people, you know, you might never come across somebody who's having thoughts of suicide, but you might be, you might come across somebody who's just really, really struggling. And if you have the education and some background and some training on really how to sit down and best talk to them so that they're heard and they feel supported, then, you know, that helps them, but it also really helps you. And it, it really helps our people be more willing and able to, step up and say, hey, I feel like you're struggling, or you look like you're struggling, or I saw something on social media that worried me, you know, let's sit down and talk about it. Um, you know, I know we have the Clay Hunt Fellows Program, and, you know, that was really put in place in, in honor and in memory of Clay Hunt who suicided. And so just kind of thinking about the steps Team Rubicon is taking to support our teammates and, you know, just kind of going through that training and having those skills has absolutely saved lives um, within Team Rubicon, with our partner organizations, with other people that we work with, and just in people's everyday life, really just having those skills to be able to identify that has been really incredible. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think it was, I can't even remember when I took assist training, but I felt like it was a really powerful moment. And it sets a stage from a training standpoint that gives some value to uh, the health and well-being of our teammates. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I, on this on this podcast and, and I know in other conversations that I have with other people, you know, you're you get an opportunity in in most cases other than in, in the period we're in right now with uh, COVID-19 for the most part, we're working shoulder to shoulder. And for the most part, we're working with people who we would consider strangers. You'd never met this person before. You show up, everyone's wearing the same shirt. You're going to go to work, help a community. But you don't really know that person. And the, the thing I love about this organization is right away, you get some connectivity because toiling, working hard with somebody, trying to make improvements to communities that need help in a humanitarian way, it bonds us. And this assist training has, has always been a really interesting thing that Team Rubicon does, unlike any other organization that I'm aware of, has put some mm -hmm. emphasis on this, to be able to care for one another. And, and I think that that's important as we come into this latter part of the summer, uh, where typically we get a little bit busier. And, you know, even though we are in this COVID-19 response, we're still going to go out and respond if, if something happens uh, mm -hmm. and we're going to work side by side. And in some cases, we're going to be wearing masks. We're going to have some of the anonymity. So it's going to take our words and our ability to discern conversations to really understand this person that's working with us. And I, but I do love that about Team Rubicon, that we are putting our mental health at a high priority. And, and we do it in other ways, too. I, you know, everyone, at least it used to be, uh, you get a, a, a little, you know, checkup email from your wellness person in, in your state. Hey, you know, you just got back off deployment. And I think that at, on, on the other hand, as individuals, we place a high value on, I'm going to check in with, with my friend who I worked with see how they're doing. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that care and concern and assist is a big component to that. So I, I think that's great. And, and when you're, so you've been coordinating uh, with cadre on this, kind of give me, paint a little picture for me about why it continues to be important. Like some examples, I mean, obviously we want to give some anonymity to it, but give me some examples of why this program is important and how you feel it's impacted the whole organization. I feel like it's important for really a variety of reasons. The first one is to really just give people concrete skills on how to talk to somebody who is feeling down or is having thoughts of suicide, just kind of at a very basic level of what the program is just teaching people those skills and having them practice it in a safe space in the classroom setting so that they can then feel confident leaving the classroom setting to go do that is just hugely important. I would say the other big piece of why it's important for our group especially is that we've had gray shirts 
come to these trainings who are actively having thoughts of suicide. And, and we find that pretty frequently with suicide prevention trainings that people who are in need or who are having those thoughts are coming to these trainings because they need help and they want help. So I think being able to identify some of our gray shirts who are really struggling and who really were courageous and strong and took the step to come to a training knowing that they themselves needed the help pretty immediately has been really impactful. Again, you know, I think it, I know it has saved lives within Team Rubicon. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what Team Rubicon was started on or based on, you know, giving people that sense of purpose and identity and community. And within that, saving lives of veterans and civilians. And so by having this training and providing this, again, we've absolutely done that either with people taking those skills and using them or coming to the training to seek pretty immediate help for themselves. I think within the organization, the impact has really rippled out. Um, you know, the amount of people that we see come to these classes and then, you know, turn around within their smaller areas or their states or their territories and really promote it to other people. Um, it's something that, you know, leadership promotes to new gray shirts who sign up who are looking for trainings or a way to get involved. Um, you know, to, again, give people those basic skills, like you had said, you know, we're still deploying on disasters and, you know, for our people to be able to have that, especially thinking about some of the remote, austere places we go to, you know, if somebody's really struggling with something they saw that day, or, um, you know, they're just kind of triggered by something and it hits them, you know, having somebody who's assist trained and who feels comfortable and confident to be able to talk to that person has just been really incredible. Um, you know, thinking about our CNG staff who we have out there kind of leading these operations, having people like that trained and just getting more of those people trained up is hugely important. And just being able to identify when somebody is struggling, you know, like you said, if people are wearing face masks, it's hard to see some of that on their face. So really kind of honing in on those words. And that's something that assist does really well in helping people kind of learn and identify what that looks like in both verbal ways and nonverbal ways. Um, I think the organization has really invested in this training. It's not a cheap training by any means. Um, we're fortunate we actually have 17 in-house instructors, which I think is the most that any organization has um, besides a group in Canada who started it. Um, so we're really, really, really proud of that. Um, so just kind of, you know, TR being able to invest in this and really understanding that it's something that's that's really important to our people, you know, whether they're veterans, current military, first responders, or just civilians, everybody comes with something. Um, you know, anybody is just something away from having a bad day. Um, so being able to have an organization that really puts emphasis on that or really believes that these skills are important has really just made our organization healthier, has made our people healthier, and has saved lives, which is really kind of that underlying mission of Team Rubicon. I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, it's, it's very interesting when, you know, that, that first deployment or, you know, even that second or third, it doesn't matter how many you've done at some point there's an impact. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been out where, where we've had heavy equipment operating and realizing that this heavy equipment is not just picking up scoopfuls of, of dirt it's picking up debris. And if you start putting that all together, I'm not just picking up debris. I'm basically picking up somebody's life that has been irreparably damaged, whether by floods or tornadoes, fire in some cases. And these are, you know, a lot of times you can kind of compartmentalize that and be like, no, I'm just, I'm just moving dirt or I'm just moving debris out of a home, but you're moving somebody's life. Uh, and that's, those are hard things. And I think at some point it does get to you. And I think having some priority placed on the mental health of all of our teammates makes it much more aware that we're going to, we're going to watch each other's backs. And I, I do believe that this program for sure has saved lives and has really bonded people together in a way that it is unique for an organization of our size and what we do in the world. Uh, you know, we're, we're going out to places that have, have been impacted by disaster. And 
having the wherewithal to be able to care for one another uh, allows for the mission to continue, allows for the impact to happen. And it, it really is that whole humanitarian understanding that, yes, we, we're, we're going to go out and toil and work hard, but we have to care for one another. It's a full circle. Being a humanitarian, in my mind, if you really distilled it down, you're just a big fan of humans. And that doesn't matter if it's humans on your team, humans that you're serving in the communities, uh, donors, uh, people out out you know, in the civilian world, just doing their own life. You're just a fan of humans. And that care and concern trickles down really well in this organization to this program. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've been teaching chainsaw classes for years and within that thing alone, here you are, you're, you're out teaching something that people want to learn. They want to run this tool, but there also is some anxiety behind it. And there's, there's some trepidation, you know, you're, you're starting a machine that, that has a lot of power that has a lot of capability to cut trees. And here you are this very fragile human. <laughs> and I think that the psychology around that is there's these little small steps as an instructor that you make sure that each of your students, uh, has down in their pocket so that they know that. Yes, this is a powerful, potentially dangerous machine, but if you take these small steps and so there is some psychology that goes into, I think, so many things that we do and perform and, and I, I think the, the wellness team and the, uh, the assist team uh, in particular has a huge impact on our ability to deliver day in and day out on some of these operations. And I, I want to kind of equate that and bring in that wellness component too. What are you seeing now as we're in, you know, here we are, this is towards the end of July that we're recording this and we're still in, you know, deep in our COVID-19 response, whether it's on the medical side of things or in the distribution side of things for, uh, you know, food distribution throughout the country. And really that, that whole sense that we're trying to help in places that, that we can provide manpower. What are you seeing in that wellness component? Are, are you seeing anything that uh, is different from the way that we respond for, you know, hurricanes or tornadoes or flooding? Yeah, I'm seeing, it's interesting because there's just so many similarities for um, like a different type of disaster that's going on. So, you know, I'm thinking back to, uh, hard hustle and Hurricane Harvey in Texas, how um, we deployed just an insane amount of people down to the Houston area in Texas to help after the hurricane and just the amount of time that we had that op running for, which I think might have been one of the longer running ops that we had had at that point, and just the amount of teams that we had out there. And I'm just thinking, you know, kind of that huge surge we saw at the beginning of people who were ready and able and willing to jump in and help and get deployed down there. And then, you know, seeing kind of that slower trickle kind of as time went on where people maybe couldn't get time off of work or even some of the work started ending in different areas and just kind of looking at what the pandemic has looked like and the way we've been able to pivot as an organization and do some of that food support. Again, just kind of like the huge response that was at the beginning and people were ready and willing and able to help. And then, you know, just kind of the duration and, and the burnout that happens with people and seeing that slowly trickle down. Um, you know, I think the pandemic has really been different for a lot of people. For a lot of our gray shirts, we've had a lot of people who have been laid off or furloughed. Uh, we have people who they or their family members have been sick. Um, we have people who are immunocompromised or who were over the um, recommended age for people to deploy and, you know, all those things and not being able to get out and be part of the team has really taken kind of a different hit on our gray shirts. So really for the wellness team, for us being able to pivot and be creative in how we support people who are just really dying to get out to the field and help 
at a you know community food bank but can't because they're immunocompromised or they're a caretaker of somebody and they need to you know remain kind of self-isolated um, it's it's just been really interesting to see you know I think we've seen a lot of more um, kind of significant and persistent mental health issues arise in people you know isolation is just such a huge piece of um, mental health issues. And, you know, thinking about Team Rubicon people, you know, we're almost the opposite of that. We want to get out to the field. We're not isolated. We're, you know, around our whole team all day, all night for a week or two weeks, however long we're deployed. And, you know, now being really isolated and only having technology as a means to communicate is, I think, kind of both a blessing and a curse. Um, You know, it allows people to stay connected, but it also just really increases feelings of isolation that you really are separated by a screen um, or, you know, by the phone, whatever that might look like. Um, So it's just been really interesting to watch. And I think it's been really hard for people. But I think it has also shown that our people are incredibly resilient and incredibly creative. Um, Some of our members who are over the age limit um, really took it upon themselves to be a bigger social media presence or to reach out to people who were volunteering, you know, more and more time at, you know, community food banks or testing sites and really tried to do those buddy checks to check in on people, you know, thinking about how they can repurpose themselves during this time. Um, It's also similar to what we see on ops if people come out and, you know, I'm not a chainsaw person. So, you know, where else can my skills be utilized? And, you know, how do we pivot kind of within the field to make sure that everybody has a job, everybody has a space, everybody has purpose on the team. Um, And it's just been a really kind of creative test during this time um, as to how we do that kind of as a team and as a community and as an organization as a whole. I think that it's it's great that you've seen this change because I've kind of felt it too. I remember kind of, you know, really early on during uh, the initial, you know, change that we were doing to the organization, but also just, you know, the impact that COVID 19s had uh, on us as a country, as a society. And I started getting those little buddy check texts and I started getting, you know, emails. How you doing? Uh, phone calls were a little more frequent and I, and I appreciate there's something that, you know, I passed along as well. I'd start, you know, I need to check in with this person or that person, whether it's a family member or a TR member, friend, whatever you, you know, whatever, whatever situation it is. And I, I will say that I appreciate that. And I, I also think that within our organization, that kind of buddy check, you know, that checking in, you know, mm-hmm. sending them a text, you know, a message through social media, whatever, is has become important. And I, 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 if if anything positive can come out of this, I think I'd love to see that perpetuate, because caring about somebody else, and 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 what's interesting to me in this organization in particular, is who you attach yourself to on an operation within a service project, whatever is it's always, it's always kind of, I always go, wow, it's, it's amazing. The people that you meet, we have a pretty broad selection of, of people, of accents, of um, heritage, all these things within the organization. And I like the fact that we actually give a shit about somebody who's on the opposite side of the country. And we want to reach out to them and make sure they're okay. And so I'm going to, here we are, we're, we're, you know, 25, 30 minutes into our conversation and I'm going to put out a challenge to anybody who's listening. And I, and I, and I hope that this is received in a, in a way that's, that's purposeful. But if you immediately, I think when, when, when you were talking about this, somebody popped into my head that I need to reach out to that person. So I'm, I'm asking everybody, if you've got that, somebody who popped into your head as, as Jennifer was kind of talking about this, I'm asking you to reach out, just send them a text, send them an email, some sort of message and give them a call because I think it's important that we maintain that connectivity to our tribe of people that we work with in Team Rubicon that we maintain those connections to family, friends, and in those things that are important to us. And so, yeah, here we are partway through our conversation and I'm throwing out a challenge. So do it, take that time. And it, because it does matter, 
And it has been something that's been important to me uh, to make sure that, that people who I care about are okay. Absolutely. I think buddy checks are like, you know, one of the easiest and most effective things that we can do kind of as people or as an organization to really show our fellow members that we're there for them. You know, like anybody can go out and do disaster response. Anybody off the street can go, you know, stack up some debris or some rubbish. But what makes us special as an organization and as a group and as a family, like you said, is that we care for each other. And being able to check in with somebody, especially right now during this time, you know, buddy check is kind of the number one most important thing that you can do. Just letting somebody know that you're there, that you're thinking about them, that you care about them. Well, and I, I think our name tells you everything you need to know. I mean, we are, we're not Rubicon or Team Rubicon. You know, as a chainsaw instructor, I'm, I'm constantly reminding everybody that you never do anything by yourself, right? Um, well, there are a few things I, I think we should do by ourselves, but, uh, <laughs> but when we're out working in the field, we never go off by ourselves, right? Uh, command and general staff, when they're back at our forward operating base, coming up with the things that we need to do the next day, they never make those decisions by themselves. They make them together as a team. Chainsaw operators always work as a team. All, all of those little components, all the jobs that we do, we do them together. And so why wouldn't we continue that practice outside of that work environment? And as far as I'm concerned right now, the best thing we can do as an organization is care about one another because we are going to be needed. And there are those who are toiling day in and day out in the field. They need that support. They need that encouragement. Uh, you know, those who can't deploy, I think that's a great thing to mention. You know, there is a big section of our organization right now that can't deploy. And in doing so, it, it, it potentially could isolate them. My guess is, is they probably aren't isolated at all. That They're probably getting inundated with phone calls and messages. You know, how are you doing? What's going on? And that's what I love about this organization and why, you know, when it's tough, you, rem you remind yourself of these great little nuggets of things that we do for one another. Uh, and, and, I, and that's top down. That starts at the very top of this organization to the very newest part person who's joining this org. You get cared for and you get cared for by a broad assortment of people very quickly. Uh, it's the, it's the lesson that I always take away, uh, whenever I go someplace new or, or deploy and you encounter that somebody where it's like, I really, I don't, I didn't see or understand that. I've been able to take a half step back and realize this person's doing their very best. They're trying to provide a positive app impact of what they're doing. And you start seeing things from other people's perspective and suddenly it gets easier. There's no conflict. There's no issue. It's like, well, you know, there, there are times when things aren't right, but we can talk to one another. And I think this mm -hmm. moment where we have to reach out to each other, is, is very impactful. And it, and it is unique as an organization, this large, that we actually give a damn about everybody who we work with. Absolutely. Just the fact that, you know, they have this group for wellness, you know, and that they utilize people to provide, you know, a certain skill set to our gray shirts who might need it. I think, again, really says a lot about the organization and, you know, how much we care for people and, you know, we absolutely do our best. Could it be better? Of course. It, there's always room for improvement. But just kind of having that human touch and, and being there for other people on your team is really just an incredible piece of it. Well, and I imagine as a wellness person, you've got this contact list of, of people all over the place. Because there are times when you can't solve this. You know, you get some person that you know more towards the West Coast. And it's like, you can't leave Boston to go out to Reno, Nevada to go help out somebody who's having a rough time. And so that's where that contact list comes into play. And I, I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've been a part of it where, hey, somebody in your area is having a rough time. Can you reach out to them, see how they're doing, see what's going on? And that's, that's the other thing is uh, this org is really good at rallying the troops for each other. Uh, I, I think we both can, you know, have some contact points or stories about, 
somebody moving across country, somebody taking a trip, somebody having a rough time or their family on the opposite side of the country having a rough time. And suddenly you've got gray shirts spooling up, rallying to go help somebody who they don't know. They just know that they're somehow affiliated with another gray shirt and they need some help. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to hear those stories and understand that impact. And I, I do believe that having that, that wellness component and that priority for self-care, for community care, is, is it's unique. It's very different. Uh, and I appreciate it. It really it's, is. It's super cool. Uh, when, yeah. when you're doing, yeah. and the thing, and I, I just wanted to get one little thing. How does this impact what you do outside of TR? How does your experience of being a wellness provider, being an assist trainer impact what you do in the, I guess we call it the real world. That's <laughs> <laughs> how I refer to it. TR world and then Fair the real enough. world there. Yeah. Um, it's pretty incredible. It's, it's such a strange kind of transition sometimes um, kind of in my real world. I'm much more of a, uh, I'd say, I guess, professional, you know, clinical therapist. Um, so it's interesting to kind of think back on either the weekends that I teach assist or when I'm out on a service project or a deployment. And honestly, I feel like it makes me a better therapist. It makes me a better social worker. It just kind of makes me a better person being able to go out and help somebody in that volunteer capacity. You know, it's not my paid job. It's not exactly what I do on, you know, my nine to five. Um, it really just kind of informs everything else that I do. And it, like you said earlier, it kind of gives a different perspective um, coming back into you know, my real life and my clients or the students that I work with and, and just kind of having that different perspective of either having helped out at a food bank or have responded to a disaster or having sat with a group of 20 to 30 people who, you know, gave up two full days of their week on the weekend to learn suicide intervention skills. It really just kind of, you know, informs what I do and kind of the day to day. Um, and, you know, it kind of gives me that passion and kind of prevents that burnout for me. You know, sometimes if I'm teaching on the weekends for assist and I just worked Monday through Friday and then I'm flying out Friday night and teaching all weekend and flying back Sunday to just work again on Monday. You know, I think looking at it on paper, it's like the perfect recipe for burnout. But for me, kind of that variation and being able to give back and to see how much people you know, enjoy that training or get something from it really just keeps me going, keeps me motivated. It is, it is kind of a neat compliment and I, you know, on paper, yeah, you look at that, it's like this, you know, you haven't had any time off. I think a lot of us do that. And, and I think when you're coming from your job in, in the real world, if you will, uh, and then coming into this, this circle of, of team Rubicon, there is a rejuvenation that happens. I mean, you're still, I, I'm always tired when I come home from a deployment. But there is this buoy effect that being around like-minded humanitarians as they're serving communities, there is something very healing, something very, uh, it, it requires you to be a little vulnerable to help out in communities. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, though that combination of experiences, uh, it, it's, it's almost like a relief, right? Um, it's corny as this going to sound, it's almost like a hug, right? You know, when you get a hug and it just, it feels it good, is. you know, it's your friend and you care about them or you're, we're, you and I are both huggers. Uh, and I like, yeah. I, I can meet you and 30 seconds later, I'm, I want to give you a hug. Um, uh, and it's, but it, but there is, there's, you're, you're, you're outputting stuff, but you're getting back an awful lot. And I, I it's been a very strong theme, uh, throughout these podcasts where there is a very cyclical, you know, you're, you're putting out, but you're getting back in. You're constantly getting that cup refilled by other TR members, uh, by your experiences, helping communities. Uh, and that's, I think the beauty of it. I, I do believe that again, having that wellness component be so important to an organization 
that our our own mental well-being having prominence put on that really makes us better teammates makes us a better team means that when we need to pivot when stuff is hard uh we can do it and and that's been proven time and time again uh so i I, and i i appreciate that perspective yeah we in our real world job we're we're busting our ass throughout the week (laughs) and then we're going to work hard in it with a different set of skills on the weekend with team Rubicon. And I, I do believe you get something significant from that. Absolutely. So a story time from Jen. I need some stories. Come on. I want some All stories. Right. I want, I want a story of, you know, you can make it poignant. You can make it hilarious, which is more where I'm leaning, but <laughs> I'll take any of it. I want to understand you as a wellness person, you going out in the field and and you're a hard worker. That's, you know, I mean, you can go out and move stuff and lift things up and put them down, help muck out, help clean up. But I want to know, give me that moment on an operation that you were a part of or on a service project or on a, a training that is, that sticks with you today that, that you hold up, as this is why I'm here? Oh, great question. And I feel like five different stories just came to mind for like five different reasons. But you can go nuts here. We got time. We got time. All right. I'm honing in. You know, whittle that down to that one that still to this day is impactful. So I'm thinking back to Foxia, which was out in Illinois, the Fox River had flooded and it just almost seemed kind of random whose house got flooded, I guess, just kind of where people were on the banks of the river. But it was like, you know, one neighbor's house got flooded and then two houses were fine and then another house got flooded. So it's just kind of this like random assortment. We had a couple different teams out. Um, Some people had been kind of mucking out, pushing debris to the curb um, and they had flown me out after um, an incident had happened there. And it was the first time ever that TR had deployed somebody specifically as a wellness asset. Um, So I kind of got on a plane the next day, flew out to Illinois, wasn't, you know, too sure of what I was walking into, just kind of what I had heard from the team on the ground. And here I was thinking, you know, okay, well, now I'm going to spend the week just kind of being this, um, you know, wellness person just here for people who want to talk and, um, you know, I got out there, kind of checked in with the team. Uh, we had been bunking at one of the schools there. So, you know, everybody's just kind of all in the same area, just kind of bunked up. And, um, you know, my first day there, I get introduced as the wellness person. And, you know, it's always kind of like, oh, like, you know, are people going to be like, oh, here's the therapist, here's the mental health person. And, you know, that's kind of what you're pigeonholed right. into. Um, fortunately, I knew a few people out there and they were like, oh, Jayla, you know, hey, what's up, girl? I was like, oh, okay, good. Um, you know, this won't be kind of as serious. So I get out there and, you know, I spent the first day just kind of getting acclimated and I ended up going out with uh, a couple of the different crews. But I just remember one afternoon, it was like, you know, it's just so warm in these basements. It's humid and it had just flooded and, you know, it's probably getting kind of moldy and everything's just kind of sitting there and we're hauling this sled up and down the stairs, you know, just kind of full of debris, bringing it outside, dumping it. And everybody's just, you know, pouring sweat. Everybody's exhausted, all this stuff. And so, you know, I just kind of jump in, start helping out. And, you know, your, your shirt's getting covered and just kind of like muck and sweat. And of course, I had used a washable marker to write my name. So, of course, J-Law is just kind of <laughs> dripping down the front of my shirt at this point. Um, And, you know, we kind of circle up afterwards when we're done for the day before we, you know, get back in our vehicles to head to the FOB. And, um, you know, there was just this one guy, I think it might have been his first stop, and he was just kind of standing out there. And, you know, I could tell that he probably had, 
you know, somewhat of a, a difficult life, just kind of with what he had been talking about during the day and just kind of what he was saying out there. And then the strike team leader, you know, did re- a really incredible job, just kind of, you know, we helped this homeowner and here's what we got done today, you know, just really kind of debrief the group before we got back for the bigger debrief. And I'm just kind of standing there as part of the group, just listening and, you know, kind of here's this this guy who was a bit older, pretty salty, just, you know, kind of talking about, oh, we don't need this, uh, you know, kumbaya bullshit going on. Like, we're here to do work and get out of here. Um, you know, so to me, it was kind of like, hmm, maybe that's somebody that I want to, you know, get to know a little bit. Um, you know, it was just very different from the vibe that everybody else was putting off, like, you know, feeling pretty proud of what we got done here. Everybody's, you know, talking about you know, their success for the day. Um, so we get back you know, to the FOB and and we're doing a big debrief and the strike team leaders, you know, calling out somebody on the team who really just kind of busted their ass that day. And, um, you know, the next day I went back out and joined that strike team and I went back the next day and then, you know, kind of on the fourth day with that team, really just seeing the change in this guy. Um, I was talking to him afterwards and, you know, I reintroduced myself and he was like, oh shit, I had no idea you were the mental health person. I was like, well, I'm not the mental health person. I'm the wellness person. And he was like, you know what, coming into this, I was just thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get out here, do some work, you know, kind of feel that adrenaline rush, feel good at the end of the day. He's like, I never, ever thought that I would feel the amount of community and purpose that I have here. He's like, you know, there are some guys like 20, 30 years younger than me who are leading my team who I have respect for. He said, I never would have thought that I would have had that for these younger people, you know, just thinking you haven't lived my life. You haven't done what I've done. You know, how are you going to tell me what to do or what not to do here? And, you know, just kind of getting talking to him about kind of whatever is going on. And, you know, it turns out that there was some um, he had a daughter who had some pretty significant mental health issues. And he ended up talking about how, you know, he just kind of had this impression that, you know, all mental health people were just these, you know, kind of loony, really kind of like out there, hippie-ish kind of people. Um, And he said, you know what, my perspective really changed when I saw what you were doing out there. He's like, you know, just the way you related to me and related to other people. And you just, you know, you weren't that person always trying to talk about feelings or force me to talk about feelings. And he said, you know, had I never met you, I probably would not have changed my perspective on what mental health people were or who they were or how they interacted. And he said, and that's a huge detriment to me. And he said, I can see it's been a huge detriment to my family that I've held that belief. And so to me, that was a really pivotal moment because I was like, oh, geez, like, you know, I was just out there doing regular TR stuff, just like everybody else, you know, but kind of forgetting that, you know, I, I have that other identity. Um, in life and that, you know, people know about kind of that wellness component. A lot of people know that I'm a social worker and I'm a therapist. Um, So being able to kind of be real and be human and, you know, not just be what, you know, a potential stereotype of my job looks like um, really reminded me of that and really reminded me of kind of, you know, the impact that that has on people. You know, I didn't want to just kind of sit around the fob and wait to see if anybody needed a referral to, you know, a therapist or a program or, you know, a a job aid program, Um, you know, just being really immersed in that was just incredibly important and really, really powerful for me. And just kind of, you know, a piece of humility um, that made me realize kind of how important that piece is. I, I like everything about that. And I think that more often than not, uh, we have individuals who come into this organization with a certain um, life experience or just had a rough time of it and they're looking for something. And I believe that why they stick around is because they're going to get real talk. They're going to get real emotions. Hey, you know, I appreciate you. That's something that I've really tried to put into my interaction uh, with other TR members is I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're, you're doing. I appreciate your time. And I think that once that understanding that, Oh, these people really give a shit about me. They, they genuinely care. It's not just this rules and regulations checkbox that they're going through. It's real. Mm-hmm. We We want you good to go. We want you safe. We want you, enjoying yourself. 
Because if all those boxes are checked, you're busting your ass for a community that needs that kind of work. And I, I think that that's, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the uh, an incredibly powerful place to be. And I appreciate your exampling of that uh, because it, it is, you know, being in the military myself, if you had to go speak with somebody, you know, with a mental health team, uh, it was always, well, what I do wrong? Well, maybe it was just a checkup just to see how you're doing. You, you know, you've been gone for a while or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that there is a stigma behind that. And I do believe that our organization has done uh, our communities a great service of breaking down that impression that being vulnerable, being uh, in a position where you can admit you're, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I, I, I don't know about this or your willingness to ask for help. If at the end of the day, that's the only thing we do, we've done an amazing bit of work. And I, Absolutely. I, I, again, I'm going to, I'm going to do it to you, but I really appreciate the things that you do. I really appreciate how you represent Thank the you. wellness team. Uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. The work that, that wellness does within this organization, its impact is quiet and it's very personal, but at the same token, it's highly valuable and needed in an organization that has such a quirky, amazing mix of folks that we do. And it makes us better. Yeah, it makes us better. And that's actually how the wellness program was started. You know, um, Jake and other people realized that, you know, we had members who needed more support than what TR could provide. You know, we're not a veteran service organization. We're not a mental health organization. So they wanted to bring in people who specialized in doing those referrals and making those referrals for our members who are struggling. You know, I would say TR itself is wellness, but we need people to be well in order to safely do the work for these communities. And so by getting people the support that they need outside of that has kept our organization and our member base resilient and ready to go in the face of a disaster. And that's really, you know, the best that we can do for people. Like you said, if all anybody gets out of it is that support or that help, whatever they need, then we are a hundred percent successful within that. I thank you. Thanks, Jen. You've been awesome. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate the work you do. And I, I thank you for your time. I, I do believe that this is absolutely an important subject that we get to talk about, whether you've been in the organization for years or whether you're considering joining the organization, understanding that somebody cares about you as an individual, I think is a very powerful statement to make as an org. So thank you. Caring for one another is a strength that is hard to measure, but the results are clear. We are better and stronger as a team when we support each other while being the best damn disaster response organization possible. If this conversation brought to mind a fellow teammate, reach out to him. Check in and support those gray shirts in your circle. It truly makes us better and more effective as we respond and care for communities affected by disasters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>